Welcome to Prophecy Countdown with author and pastor Kenneth Baer. Join us every week for the latest updates on what the Bible has to say about the events, the characters, and prophetic signs of the return of Jesus Christ and His coming kingdom. Make sure you not only subscribe, but like your favorite episodes and share it with your friends. Now, on with the broadcast. to our Sunday message here at Faith Dialogue and our podcast that we call uh, Prophecy Countdown. I'm Pastor Ken, the pastor at Faith Dialogue. Uh, we provide two updates each week, uh, both video as well as audio, in our channel called Prophecy Countdown. Now, on Sundays, uh, we are going through the Gospel of Matthew. We go through chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Today, uh, we'll be in uh, Matthew chapter 12, and our message today is the prophecy of Isaiah. That's message number 321. And on Wednesdays, however, our updates are always prophecy related and the topics come from you, our viewing and listening audience. So we have a email. Uh, it's quite easy. It's long, but it's easy to remember. It's prophecycountdownpodcast at gmail.com. That's prophecycountdownpodcast at gmail.com. If you send us your questions, I answer all the questions myself. Every single email that comes in, I always give a reply to. Um, but that's where we get our questions for during the week. We just finished up on a, on a series on the, uh, the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, and we've got some other ideas, so send us your questions. We, we'd, love, we'd love to be able to, uh, to get your topic uh, as one of the topics on our podcast. So let's get into the lesson today. It's, it's, it, this is our Sunday lesson. It's on the prophecy of Isaiah uh, that's given by the Gospel of Matthew in Matthew chapter 12. <clears throat> verses 15 to 21. Let me read it to you. It's just uh, a few verses, six verses, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Verse 15 in chapter 12 says this. It says, But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory. And in his name Gentiles will trust. You know, this, this, uh, this portion of scripture starts off with these words, but when Jesus knew he withdrew from there, and you ask the question, well, what did Jesus know? Well, Jesus knows everything, right? I mean, it's kind of interesting. Scholars have argued and debated about how much Jesus actually knew while he was a man. We know that uh, long ago it was settled that uh, Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. But at the same time, the scriptures say that, uh, that he was born a babe in Bethlehem. Uh, he was just a baby, and he grew, the Bible says, in stature and wisdom. We also know in the scriptures that Jesus humbled himself, and he became a man. So even though he was 100% God and 100% man, there was obviously things that he intentionally withheld from himself. However, we know what Jesus knew, and that was because it's the verse right before our verse today. And this is what it says. It says, Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Jesus had just healed a man with a withered hand. And it was on Sunday, oh heavens, it was on, I'm sorry, it was on the Sabbath day, it was on the Sabbath day. And of course, they came after Jesus because he was working on the Sabbath. Now, the Bible says that Jesus 
came to his own, but his own did not receive him. That's John chapter 1. Who should have known more than the Pharisees, however, who Jesus was? You know, when the wise men came riding into Jerusalem and Herod was there and it said the whole city was upset because these, these wise men, no, no, no doubt with, a, with an army along with them, came into Jerusalem. Um, they said, where is he that is to be born king of the Jews? And they asked the scholars, the scribes, the Pharisees, the scholars there in the temple knew exactly what the prophecies had said. And they replied that he was born and to be born in Bethlehem. You see, they knew the scriptures, uh, but they refused to acknowledge who Jesus was. 30 years later, Jesus is among them. He's doing amazing works. He's, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's healing people. Uh, and at the same time, they refuse to acknowledge who he is. So the Bible says Jesus withdrew. He withdrew because they were plotting to kill him. Well, this is a tactical move. Strategically, Jesus came to save the people of Israel as well as, as, to, uh, as in this prophecy to be able to make himself known to the Gentiles. However, tactically, he needed to time things appropriately. There were three years of ministry that Jesus was going to spend with his disciples and all through, um, all through uh, Judah and uh, Judea and into uh, Galilee. Um, and, the, and the Pharisees would be plotting, plotting to be able to catch him, to be able to arrest him, to be able to put him to death. But God the Father had timing, and that timing was going to be perfect. And the culmination of things would happen in three, three years uh, where Jesus would be uh, crucified, he would die on the cross and rise again. But this is too soon uh, during his ministry, and this is why he departs. So let's read again this, uh, what Matthew has to say before he repeats the prophecy of Isaiah. There's three things that Matthew mentions. He says that many followed him, that he, that's Jesus, healed them all, and that he ordered them not to make him known. Now we know that Jesus traveled through Judea and Galilee. Wherever he went, he attracted crowds for a number of reasons. He fed the multitudes, he healed them. He was a marvelous teacher, and the people were hungry hungry for the Messiah. Jesus at one time said that the crowds, he looked at the crowds and he lamented the fact that they were like sheep without a shepherd. You know, these were the people that followed him. Um, now, Jesus healed them all. This is one of the, uh, the few places in the New Testament that talks about Jesus' healing ministry and it says Jesus healed them all. Well, why would he heal them all? Well, number one, this was a, this was a sign to the people of who he was that he was sent by God. But also, um, many believe that it was because of the compassion of Jesus. Jesus had compassion. His heart went out to these people uh, that didn't have modern medicine, that simple infections, that skin diseases, that falling down and breaking a, a leg or a, a, an arm would, would cripple you. And Jesus healed them, them all. Um, you never think, by the way, that Jesus is not interested in your particular need. This is, use this example that Jesus healed them all, that Jesus is interested in your needs as well. Never think that whatever you need to pray about is, is too minor for Jesus to, to pay any attention to. Jesus hears all of your prayers, and Jesus answers all of our prayers. Sometimes we don't like the answer. Sometimes the answer is no or wait, but at the same time, Jesus hears us and Jesus has compassion and wants to help us. Just like a, just like a father loves to hear 
uh, his, his, his son or his daughter climb up on the, his lap and, and tell them the things that they want. Uh, Jesus wants to hear from us as well. Now let's turn to the prophecy of Isaiah that's found in Isaiah chapter 42. It starts off by saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen. This is God the Father speaking. This is through the prophet Isaiah. This quotation is actually from Isaiah chapter 42. There's five verses there. And it speaks of the gentle character of the Messiah, the servant of Yahweh. Uh, while this is a common characteristic of Jesus, many people were not expecting him to be that gentle. gentle. They were under the thumb of Rome and they wanted someone to come uh, like a warrior king, like a, a David. And those promises were there for the Messiah as well, that he would be able to reunite Israel, that he would throw off the, uh, the, 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 the bonds from their enemies, that he would be victorious, that Israel would be uh, high above all the other mountains of the earth. Uh, people were looking for the glory days uh, of King David and his throne. Um, but the thing is, is that what was a mystery then, we now see. There were two comings of the Messiah. Once as a, a gentle uh, shepherd uh, who would die for his people, this, this gentle, humble Jesus. And then there was also going to be the second coming of Jesus where he comes as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know, often the scriptures will uh, uh, separate the first coming and the second coming uh, by just a, a phrase or a word, sometimes in the same sentence. Do you remember um, in the prophet, I, when, when Jesus was given the scroll of the prophet Isaiah that he picked up and began to read in the synagogue? Uh, that's, uh, that's in uh, Luke chapter 4. This is what it says. So Jesus stood up and began reading from the scroll of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then it says that he then sat down and said, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. It says that Jesus closed the book. Well, Jesus closed the book. He actually ended the scroll before the end of that verse. Now, verses weren't part of the scripture at the time, but what I'm saying is it's part of the same text because the very next words are, and the day of vengeance of our God. Well, that day of vengeance is coming. We know it as the seven years of tribulation. It's after Israel's in the land, which happened in 1948. There's going to be a time when God again turns his full attention to the people of Israel, uh, but it's not yet, and it wasn't then. So this prophecy of Jesus will be fulfilled, but has not yet been fulfilled. So do you know that for every verse that speaks of the first coming of Jesus, there are many verses that speak of his second coming. Some scholars say three, some say five, some say eight. I love eight. Um, eight times more verses that speak of the second coming of, of Jesus Christ. Uh, scholars tell us that there are 1,845 references to Christ's second coming. I haven't counted them all myself, but I'll take their word for it the old, in, the, in the Old Testament and 318 references of the second advent of Christ in the New Testament. That's 318 references in 260 chapters. Uh, that's a, that's, a, that's a, uh, a ratio of 1.2 references per every chapter in the New Testament. We know that 23 of the 27 books of the New Testament speak of 
Jesus' second coming. It is coming, my friends. It is a major event. And just as Jesus' first coming was fulfilled literally, so will his second coming. You know, there's a song, I remember we used to sing it, it said, you know, soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. I don't sing very well, but I, I love that. Soon and very soon, we will see the king. Now, Isaiah identifies the Messiah as a, a servant. But Jesus is not just a servant. He is the servant. He is the Messiah. That's why prophecy starts off with the word, behold, as the Lord says, my servant. Uh, Isaiah is making a point that this is a, a special servant. It's my servant, my servant that's come to redeem my people, Israel, as well as to bring light to the Gentiles. Jesus is their servant in the manner that he is one that was sent to accomplish the plan laid out from the foundation of the world. He's also a servant as an example to us as servants. You know, Jesus says that he came to serve um, and that if we want to be great, we need to be the servant of all. Jesus continues to serve us. Did you know that? He serves us every day through his constant love, his care, his guidance and intercession. The Bible says that he's ready to make intercession and he sits at the right hand of God the Father. Let me tell you, my friend, every prayer, every spoken word, every cry for help, Jesus hears and he serves us today. Now let's continue the prophecy. Verses 19 and 20 are key. It says, he, speaking of Jesus, will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, or a smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory. Now these verses all speak of a gentle, lowly heart in the actions of Jesus. You know, Jesus wasn't braggadocious. He wasn't even like John the, the Baptist, his, his, his cousin, who was sometimes a little harsh, a little boisterous. At the same time, Jesus was never cow a coward. He was never weak. He, he stood up. Jesus made an impression upon others as the Spirit of God instructed him. Now, when we see Jesus, we should see God. That's the key. When we see Jesus, we should see God. All too often, many people believe that God is harsh, looking for an opportunity to punish, to judge, to smack us upside the head. However, just the opposite is true. And we, take, we, we get that from Jesus. God deals with us gently. God deals with us tenderly. This is the reference where it says that a bruised reed, uh, he will not bend, uh, uh, will not break. A smoldering wick, he will not quench. That's like to snuff out a, a candle with your fingers. The final verse is verse 21. It says, in his name, Gentiles will trust. No, there's a number of references in the Old Testament referring to the Messiah that his ministry will embrace the Gentiles as well. But you know, most Jews found that offensive at the time of Jesus. Most likely, most of the readers of the Gospel of Matthew, the early Christians uh, that were Jewish, also found it offensive because the, the Jews were, the, the Gentiles were considered to be like dogs. I mean, people would walk all the way around rather than going through the, the Gentile lands of Galilee. Um, however, what we see is in the book of Acts, and if we take a look at the history of the church, it was the Gentiles that flocked to Jesus as the Messiah. You know, Paul was sent to the Gentiles, Peter was sent to the Jews, and Paul's ministry, basically, not only in Asia, but in Europe as well, oh my goodness, I mean, within 50, 60, 100 years, 
a large percentage of the people in Europe, these Gentiles, were following Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. God is not done with the Jews. Heavens no. They, they are and will always be God's chosen people. The Lord is faithful to fulfill all of his prophecies. And there are many verses that are still yet unfulfilled pertaining to the Jewish people. Many speak directly of a future Israel. They speak of the 12 tribes, of the mountains of Israel, the desert being watered and giving us flowers. Zechariah 14, for example, is an example. It says, then all of the survivors from the nations that came against Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. The Bible says that at some time in the future, after the Lord has come, the people of the world, the Gentiles, will come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. They're not Jews, they're Gentiles. But this is the impact that Israel will have on the rest of the world. Israel will finally have its peace and tranquility. They will ultimately have victory over all of their enemies. Now, here's the thing, and as, as an amateur historian, I mean, I don't get paid for it, but I love history, especially church history. For centuries, the theologians and scholars of the church could not embrace the literal fulfillment of these scriptures. scriptures. And why? Well, because the Jews to them were Jesus killers. They persecuted the Jews. It was very difficult to persecute the Jews and then read the scriptures and say, oh, look at this. The Jews are still the chosen people. No, they, and as a result, what they did with the scriptures is they, it became ambiguous to them. They, they attached all kinds of symbolic meaning where, you know, Jerusalem was Rome or, Jeru or the heaven was the church. It was just, it was crazy stuff. And the reason was is they refused to give any possibility that God would still favor the Jews, that he still had a plan for the Jews. And all of these prophecies uh, that were going to be fulfilled had to be fulfilled some other way than literally, because they couldn't come to grasp with the fact that God kept, keeps his promises. Well, here's the thing. 1948, after 1900 years, Israel became a nation again in fulfillment of what Isaiah actually said, not only Isaiah, but Ezekiel and Jeremiah. The Apostle Paul tells us that there will be a generation of believers, a generation of believers that, that won't die, that Christ will return in the air, and those that are, have died in Christ will be risen first, and we which are alive will be caught up together to be with them. And why is that? It's because it's the end of the church age. The church age ends, this dispensation ends, and God then turns his full attention to the people of Israel. The Apostle Paul, in the second chapter of Thessalonians, chapter 2, speaks of the Antichrist and tells us the Antichrist will not be revealed that until that which is restraining will be taken out of the way. And many people like myself that take the Bible literally and take a look at the uh, the book of Revelation and all of these prophecies that point to second, Christ's second coming, understand that that which is restraining is the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And the believers will be taken out of the way because it's the believers that have been restraining evil in this world, restraining the Antichrist. You know, just as we read the prophecies of the Messiah uh, riding on a donkey into, into Jerusalem, being born as a babe in Bethlehem, if we take the scriptures literally, literally, the, 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 that speak of the second coming, we get an idea of exactly what God is doing and how he's preparing. The signs are all around us, my friend. If you take the scriptures literally, the believers, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, are restraining the Antichrist and we will be removed. 
That's when the Antichrist comes on the scene, the first horseman of the apocalypse. But my friends, today is the day of salvation. If you haven't made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, I, I encourage you today uh, to read these scriptures, to say a simple prayer, to understand that Jesus died for you, that he died on the cross, that he rose again. And the Bible says, the Bible says that it's that simple. It's not what you do, but it's what Christ has already done for you that will get you saved. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you, Lord. Nearly every day, it's common to see, read, or hear something about the end of the world, the apocalypse, or end times. Author and pastor Kenneth Baer's The Apocalypse and Coming Kingdom zooms in and breaks down biblical prophecy as it relates to Jesus' imminent return and the coming seven-year period, including the Great Tribulation. Available in both paperback and Kindle versions. Get your copy on Amazon or at Barnes & Noble and select Christian bookstores. The title again is The Apocalypse and Coming Kingdom. You can also find it listed by author Kenneth Baer. Get your copy today. Thank you for joining us on Prophecy Countdown with Pastor Ken Baer. Don't leave without first sharing the latest episode with your friends. Be sure to join us again for the latest updates on Prophecy Countdown.